Well, I hope you guys are having a great holiday weekend. I got to go backpack with my family on Friday night. It was the first time I've ever taken my kids out backpacking, and it was awesome. I highly recommend it. Definitely did not get much sleep, but it was beautiful. So I hope you guys are enjoying your uh, weekend. Actually, a couple years ago, I was at, um, we are part of a community called 3DM, and it's a community of churches and ministry leaders across uh, actually the nation and even in uh, England and beyond um, who are practicing how to live in a, a, a missional discipleship in an everyday living. So we're trying to figure out how to uh, respond to the Spirit, how to uh, listen to God, how to lead our churches, how to lead our ministries. And, um, and so we were at a, at a gathering of these 3DM folks out in Grand Rapids a couple of years ago when we kind of divided up into huddles. And part of our huddle was a woman named Rachel. And we got to just enjoy some fellowship together and was really impressed with her uh, ministry and her leadership and her depth and everything she brought to the table in that huddle. And what we learned from her and were able to share with her was awesome. So this Sunday, we had a chance, there was an opportunity provided that we were able to invite Rachel to be part uh, of our worship gathering this morning. She's going to be preaching for us this morning. So I'm really excited to welcome her and I hope you guys will welcome her too. So let's, um, I'm going to invite Rachel up. Uh, with me up here, so let's let's give him a warm welcome. And uh, let me let me just uh, pray for her real quick. Okay, let's pray for her. God, thank you for Rachel. Um, thank you for the gift that she is to us. And I pray right now that um, you would fill her with your Spirit, that um, your words would be her words, and that uh, we would be receptive to the words that um, she has to bring this morning. May um, may this be just a time dedicated to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brendan. Uh, good morning. How are we all doing this morning? All right. All right. Uh, as I said, my name is Rachel Reining. Um, I am actually really, really excited to be here this morning. I have actually heard quite a bit about y'all, um, the good ministry work that you do in the community and outward, and it's just an honor to be in your presence to know that you all get it. You all get it, and that's just incredible to, to be in that, in that space, to know that we're on mission together. And, and as Brendan said, yes, um, I knew, got to know some of these people through 3DM, three-dimensional ministry, and it was just, it's been a really fun and interesting journey to understand what missional discipleship uh, actually is and how we can, as individuals and families and friends, link arms and, and do that work. And so that's how I got to know them. A little bit about me. Um, I have lived in the Grand Rapids area for 13-ish years or so. I'm married to my husband, Gavin. Would you like to wave? Probably not, but you're going anyways. <laughs> I have, we have three kids. Madeline is nine. She's not here today. She's at Grammy camp, um, which means she gets to spend a couple days with my mom and dad and my grandma and grandpa and just, you know, have lots of fun doing the things that grandmas and grandpas do with grandkids, like take them to Mackinac Island. I'm not jealous or anything. It's fine. It's fine. And then we have Emily Claire. She is seven. You want to wave, Emily? No? That's fine. And then Mr. Brady J. He's five. Would you like to wave, Brady? No. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> um, so yeah, we've been here for a while now, and uh, we're just all really excited to be here. So I heard that you guys were in this series called overflow, and uh, basically, I, from my understanding, it's uh, 
taking a really deep listen to what God is saying to you and letting whatever overflows um, be shared. And so to start this morning, I thought I would start my overflow with a picture. See if I can do this. I think it worked, maybe. Yes, okay. So this picture is in the Upper Peninsula by the Two-Hearted River. This picture was taken in 2012 where um, a lightning strike had hit a tree and burned over 20,000 acres of wilderness. I knew this had happened um, back when it happened, but I didn't really like know that it happened. And so a couple weeks ago, my husband and kids and I had gone to the UP for a vacation, and we were driving to the Two-Hearted River, the mouth of the Two-Hearted, and we were driving and driving and driving and driving and driving. Um, And this is actually what we saw. That's pretty much what we saw, was this burned desolation. And that's when God spoke to me. So I wanted to start this morning with a question. Have you ever been burned? I mean burned in the sense that the world around you is almost too much to bear. Have you ever felt its heat, its harshness? Have you ever felt broken, exposed, naked, or in pain? Maybe some of us have had a diagnosis that felt like flames to our soul. Maybe someone said something to us that singed our hearts. Maybe we lost a job, a family member, a friend, and the inhalation of that dark haze of death took our breath away. Maybe you felt like these trees. They're barren. They're barren trees. And yet, they're standing tall. They're telling a story. It's a story of affliction, actually. And we've been there, haven't we? This morning, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about affliction. And I want to talk about new things and new creation and actually the work that it takes to see it and know it and feel it and, and write it. So if you have your Bibles, um, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, you can use, I'm sure, your tablets, iPhones, any electronic device you have. Otherwise, I will also have um, the words on the big screen as well. Uh, so before we get into the, the scripture, though, I want to give a little context. Um, actually, a few weeks ago, Pastor Matt said that uh, he just, well, I know, he just got back from Israel on uh, that big, long trip, which, so jealous. Oh, so jealous. Anyways, he had mentioned um, in his sermon a couple weeks ago that knowing your context matters. Knowing the context of the scripture matters. The who, the what, the why, the where, who it was written to matters because it's important to understand that they would understand what was being said to them. The location matters to understand geographically what we're talking about and how some things in that context might be taken a little bit differently than in ours. And so it's important, although the the word is living and breathing and it's alive, it's important to know its original format so it can come to life even more in our own context. All right, so 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This book was written by a guy by the name of Paul. He was one of the very first Christians. Actually, I would call him a church planter. He planted a ton of churches, and he, and he traveled the world, essentially, uh, 
preaching the gospel, starting churches. He'd revisit old churches and encourage people and support people. And at this time, in this letter, this is what Paul was doing. He had been preaching in Ephesus. Oh, man, it's kind of hard to see. But Ephesus is on your right-hand side. It's a little dot. And so he'd been preaching in Ephesus, and then he was going to visit Corinth, which is on the other side of the Aegean Sea. And he was actually going to take a big, long route. So he was going to go around. He wasn't going to cross the sea. He was going to go by land. It was going to take quite a while. He was going to go check on the different churches in Macedonia and, and say hello and do some greetings there. And so in the meantime, he said, well, I would really like to check on Corinth. So Timothy, who was his right-hand man at the time, he said, Timothy, would you please go to Corinth and just just kind of check things out, let them know I'm coming, but just just uh, send my greeting first, and I'll be there shortly. So Timothy does that, and then Timothy realizes there's a problem in Corinth. There's some moral problems in Corinth, and there's what I like to call Paul haters that are stirring up trouble from the east. And so he, Timothy, sent Paul word and said, hey, uh, Paul, there's some big problems in Corinth. I really think you need to come now. So Paul does. Instead of taking the big, long route, he goes right straight to Corinth and has, you could call it a tough love conversation or a come-to-Jesus moment or a that-was-a-bad-day moment with, with the church of Corinth. Um, and we know this because in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I think, he says, For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pain? So we know that when he did visit, he had caused some pain and there was some drama. And so here we have this letter, 2 Corinthians. He had made the visit. It was a painful visit. And Paul decides that instead of visiting again after his travels, he's going to write a letter instead because he knows that maybe visiting would cause even more conflict. So that's the tone and the setting for 2 Corinthians, a letter to the church in Corinth. All right, so we're going to be in chapter 4. Also, a side note, um, I was thinking a lot about writing a letter. I, I think it's becoming a lost art, isn't it? But here's the funny thing. So I thought, well, why didn't Paul just go back? Why didn't he just, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the personality that I just want to have the confrontation. I just want to have the conversation. Let's just hash this out. Let's, let's, you know, let's do this thing. And then I thought about my kids. Because every time that I've had any sort of um, conversation or conflict or, or, you know, they didn't listen in mommy's mad moment, it's interesting what they do. They go to their rooms and they write a letter to me. They say that they're sorry, or they, they write their feelings down on this paper, and then they slide it under the door so I can read it. And in those moments, though, when, when I read that letter, you know, my heart is softened because they've been able to articulate how they actually feel. They've been able to write it down. And I think maybe that's what Paul was doing. Maybe Paul knew that his verbal apology and verbal show of love to the church in Corinth may not articulate clearly what he really wants to say to them. So he writes them a letter. All right. I think I set it up enough. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 16. And he says this. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, 
our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 19. I think that there's, this little piece of scripture is like this little gem in the letter. It's, it's, it's one of a prophetic tone and deep understanding that there's more to us than what we see. Momentary affliction. Uh, it's when you feel like you've been burned, just like those trees. You know, if I'm honest and vulnerable, I have a few stories of momentary affliction myself. I can relate to what he's saying. I think there's three types of momentary affliction, honestly. I think there's um, emotional affliction, I think there's physical affliction, and I think there's spiritual affliction. Emotional. So when I was 16 years old, I was sitting in a classroom in McBain Public School. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So I was... Sitting in this, it was upstairs actually, it was so hot in there, I remember it was just like sticky in there because there's no AC and there's like this little window that you couldn't open. Anyway, so, I'm, so we're sitting in this classroom and there was a college recruiter that had come that day to kind of talk to us about getting ready for college. And he asked the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's a pretty simple question. And I thought a lot about it, and I had a pretty decent answer, so I thought. But I hadn't really thought about it beforehand. Until somebody asked me that question, I mean, I was 16. I was worried about the track meet the next day, because I was a discus thrower, and I ran the 400 relay. Never won, but I was still doing it. I was in show choir, and we had a, we had a production coming up, and so I was singing the songs, and I was practicing the moves, and I mean, I was in the here and now and the present, and so when that question was asked, it kind of took me a little bit to like really wrestle, what does that mean? Like, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? Because I can't throw discus. So there were people that answered the question. Um, I'm going to be a farmer. I'm going to be a nurse. I'm not sure yet. And then it got to me. And I remember this so clearly. I said, I just want to love people really well. And that's when it happened. The professor laughed at me. He could have exp- like had me expound on what that meant. He could have tried to help me discern what loving people well actually looks like and helped me find a, a college that would help me identify what that is. But instead, he laughed at me. I was humiliated, and I had shame. That's emotional affliction, physical affliction. Um, A couple years ago, I ran a half marathon, and afterwards I found out that I broke a couple bones in my feet. Uh, Yeah, hang on, there we go. Yeah, that's nasty, right? (laughs) I thought that was the day I thought my foot was going to fall off. But anyway, so I had surgery on, on my right foot because it was way worse than my left. Um, and so I had this surgery, and I have to tell you, 
there was this this piece that was difficult because I couldn't drive because it was my right foot, so I had to have somebody drive me everywhere I went. Um, There was this piece that was difficult because I couldn't really stand because I had that wheelie cart, you know, for three months. And so I wheeled my way around everywhere. And so I had had a hard time making dinner for my family. And, you know, it was just that kind of stuff. It just made life kind of hard to manage. But the thing that was the worst for me was the amount of pain that I had in my foot. It was out of this world excruciating, which was odd. I thought it's just a foot. But apparently all the nerve endings are in in your foot. And so when you cut bone and nerves and muscle, it hurts. There was this physical momentary affliction that I felt. I knew it was temporary, but it was affliction nonetheless. Lastly, spiritual affliction. Okay, so a couple years ago, I was working in a church in Byron Center, and there was this girl who was pregnant, and uh, she called me one day and said, uh, I had my ultrasound today, my, my 20-week ultrasound, and I was like, how did it go? And she said, not good. My baby has anencephaly, and um, it's not going to make it. Anencephaly is where the baby is born without a skull. And she said, I've decided that I'm going to have an abortion tomorrow. And I talked to her for a really long time that night, a long time. And eventually she came to the conclusion that instead of aborting the baby, that she was going to um, go full term. She was going to let the baby live as long as it possibly could. And um, she made it 40 weeks. Actually, I think to the day. Because I got a phone call that day and she said, I'm in labor and my husband's not around. Could you come pick me up and take me to the hospital? Of course, yes. So I'm like, baby, ah, you know, frantic. And I, and I go and I pick her up and I take her to the hospital. And they, you know, they put the monitor on her, on her belly and they get things going. And sure enough, she is in active labor and she's going to have this baby today, probably the next couple hours. And then there was this weight that hung in the air because it's supposed to be really exciting, right? We're going to have a baby. And then there was this deep spiritual weight because we knew that this was also the end of the baby's life. So we get everything set up, and her husband does come, and, and I kind of, you know, I say the prayers over everyone, and, and I, I go to walk out the door to let them do their thing, and she grabs my arm, and she goes, I thought you were staying. Okay, I can do that. Yep. So I uh, stay in the room while she gives birth to her son. And I remember, so I'm walking, I'm like kind of like off to the side so I can see her right here. And I see the, you know, the doctor, he's, he's catching the baby. And I remember the look on the doctor's face when he caught the baby because it didn't have a skull. And it, eyes were out of its sockets. And it was like a dark blue black. And he laid the baby on the mom and she screamed and I cried. And then all of a sudden, this baby went and took a deep breath. And I went, and I thought I was going to pass out. So then I actually did leave because that was just like so much for me to handle. And um, the baby actually lived for 27 hours. I went home at hour 24 to just catch a little sleep and 
Um, I thought I thought I had some time. He looked decent, you know. I, I knew his time was going to end soon, but I thought I had some time. So I get home, I lay in bed, and then like 10 minutes later, she calls me and says, um, I don't think he has much time left. I really would like it if he were up here. Okay. So I get back in the car, and I go back up to the hospital, and she said, can you, can you just pray over my baby before he dies? And I said, yeah, absolutely. So I, I had actually come with some psalms that were meaningful to me, and I, and I had written them on little cards, and I, I held this little baby, this tiny little thing, and I prayed some psalms over this tiny, this tiny life, and then I, I knew his, his breathing was getting really slowed, and so I, I handed him off to his mom, and not even a minute later, he took his very last breath. Spiritual affliction comes when our hearts break for others. The affliction of sadness and brokenness and doubt overcame me. And we've all had similar situations, haven't we? We've doubted. We've had physical pain. We've had emotional pain. We ache for others because we take on others' pain. And we see the pain and the suffering in the world that we live in. And it's probably felt like the fire rises and scorches everything. It scorches our very being. So this letter that Paul writes... I think he's acknowledging the pain that the Corinthians are going through. I think he's saying, ah, you've been burned. But then he pushes us and says, go beyond that momentary affliction that you feel. Because as hard as affliction is, it will always, always produce something. It can produce faith, competency, character, and it produces this new trajectory of where we're going to go with our life. Nothing that we go through is in vain. The weight of the suffering that we endure is not lost on God. Although I don't think he wanted us to feel it, he certainly uses it. He certainly uses it. When that professor made fun of me when I was 16, his laughing, though painful, has been fuel for me ever since to show him, no, I actually do love people well. Yeah, I can. And after my foot was healed, I no longer took for granted good health. People who live with chronic pain, they are saints. And I don't take for granted a big toe. You joke. I'm serious. That big toe. After that infant died, I've gone back to his grave many, many times when I just need to breathe a minute because I'm reminded of the sanctity of life. Even though he looked so different from us, even though his body had failed him, he was still a human being that God created that had a soul, and that soul will be in eternal glory with us again, and that life is so sacred. When these afflictions occur, something inside of us changes us. Something new is produced. God does a new thing within us. And I think that's what Paul was trying to articulate in his letter. Which, by the way, if you have, no, not if you have time, make the time to read the whole book. It's fascinating and beautiful and so encouraging. In chapter 5, verse 17, um, Paul kind of brings all of this back home. He says, Therefore, 
If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And I, as I read that over and over again, I thought to myself, context. This seems like a very matter-of-fact statement that he's making. And honestly, as I read it, it doesn't even really sound like Paul, the way he talks. So then that got me thinking like, that seems like it's probably elsewhere in the Bible. And as a matter of fact, it is. Paul was actually referencing the book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah had, something, had said something very similar to this. And he probably knew that the audience who he was telling it to also knew it. Isaiah 43 verse 19 says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Paul didn't just feel sorry for the people in Corinth in his letter. He was reminding them of this deep-rooted prophetic truth that a new way through the sacrificial love of Jesus coming dying and resurrecting, was paved. Isaiah prophetically spoke it. Jesus intentionally lived it. And we are now part of a new thing because of it. We are no longer slaves to the hurt and the pain and the suffering and the weight of affliction. We are freed through the love of Christ. And we can live in a new thing. So remember um, how I said that my family and I went to the Two-Hearted River a few weeks ago and I was reminded of the desolation that had occurred in 2012? So when we finally got to the Two-Hearted River, we were climbing the dunes and we climbed up this one dune and this is actually what we saw. After the wildfire, wildfire had taken place, um, there were a group of people that were tasked to plant 420,000 jack pine trees in an effort to restore what was lost. And as I looked across the land and saw all of that lush, green, new growth, it was absolutely breathtaking. A new thing was being formed. But here is where God really spoke to me. He said, Rachel, this didn't happen by accident. Rachel, this took work. This took intentionality. This took prayer. This took diligence. This took God himself. It's often said, um, actually Mike Breen, um, he's the author of a lot of the books that are in 3DM, says that in order for us to grow in maturity, it takes someone who's gone before us to offer three things. Time, vision, and grace. And I actually think that that also applies to overcoming momentary afflictions. Except we have to do it for ourselves. We need to remember to offer ourselves time to heal emotionally, physically, and spiritually. There isn't a formula um, of how we heal. We just have to give ourselves time to figure that out. We need to remember to create a vision of what our healing will look like. Um, Paul tells us to look that 
to the things that are unseen, not the things that we see. So um, another way to look at creating vision is to ask ourselves, what does good news look like to me? And by good news, I mean, does that mean more time? Does that mean setting boundaries? Does that mean cutting things off, saying no to things and saying yes to other things? Whatever that good news is, that's what you need to do. Create a vision. Thirdly, and lastly, also I think most importantly, we need to give, our, give grace to others and to ourselves. Um, I say to others because there are people, as you are in your afflictions, um, that may not understand what's going on with you. Uh, sometimes, I don't know if, if you've ever felt this, but sometimes if I've had something that's going on, somebody will say something like, well, just get over it. Or, it'll be fine. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe I can get over it, but maybe I can't. Maybe it's going to take me a lot more time than what we thought. Um, It's grace that has to be given. But grace is a funny thing, though, isn't it? It's so amazing to be given grace, to, to be on the receiving end of grace, Oh, it's just so heartwarming and, and good, and it's a whole other ball game to actually give it. And not only to others, but it's actually the most difficult to give grace to yourself. I don't know if you know who Brene Brown is, but she's a research professor on, on shame and vulnerability and guilt. Um, she's had some TED Talks and written a few books. She says this, um, grace takes you places hustling can't. The hustle. We sure like the hustle here in West Michigan and in Western culture in general. We live in days where we very quickly move to the next thing. We have shorter and shorter bereavement times. Um, We have shorter and shorter maternity leaves. Dads don't get a maternity leave. We have hardly any sick times available. We have decided that doing and the productivity of things is more important than actually being fully human and present in our sufferings and our joys. I always say, God created human beings, not human doers. God created human beings, not human doers. Which brings me to a last thought. I know I said there were three steps, but I think there's actually one more step. I think there's four. Um, I think we need to learn to have courage. I think we need to learn how to have courage to share how we feel with people that are close to us. It's actually extremely important to share our experiences with people. That same um, person, Brene Brown, has a book called Braving the Wilderness. um, And she says this. It's a little excerpt from her book. She says, An experience of collective pain does not deliver us from grief or sadness. No. It is a ministry of presence. These moments remind us that we are not alone in our darkness and that our broken heart is connected to every heart that has known pain since the beginning of time. In other words, sharing our stories won't make the affliction go away, but it does connect us. And I would argue that when Paul, the one who wrote the letter, writes, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal, I think he may have been talking about just that. I think he may have been talking about this deep connection that we actually have with each other that will last an eternity. This common thread between us all helps us show up for each other. It helps us learn from each other and grow with each other. Time. 
vision, grace, and courage. All things are important to get through those momentary afflictions and to create a new thing. As we end our time together today, uh, I want you to know those four things. I want us, I want us to write those on our hearts. And I'm so sorry that you've encountered some sort of affliction in your life. But please take heart. Those things that have burned us, God is using it. He really is. He is doing a new thing within us. And we get to rewrite the story, one of restoration. There's a a verse in Titus at the end. Um, It says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And so today, um, I'm going to offer that blessing to you as we close our time. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you wherever you go, in momentary afflictions, in joy-filled occasions, in the everyday and the mundane experiences that you have in life. Jesus is with you always. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the time that we got to have together and we get to have all the time. I know sometimes it can be easy to say that momentary affliction um, won't last and it's easy for me to say that things are being created new um, but I also know that it's a whole different other story to be on the receiving end of that conversation, especially when you're in those momentary afflictions. And so, God, I just ask that you pour your love over every individual, which is all of us, as we go through those moments of affliction. Remind us that they are light in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that we will have with you in your presence. God, we just thank you for sending your son Jesus to save us, to give us a new hope, and to give us a new thing to look forward to. And may we be new things and new hopes for the people who surround us. May we use our hands and our feet to roll up our sleeves and to do the good work that you call us to every single day. Whether it's uh, hanging out with some kiddos all day long or hanging out with the elderly or grabbing a cup of coffee with a friend or a new friend or somebody brand new, um, whether it's working outside every day in the, in the heat, whether it's um, working inside at a computer, staring at a computer screen all day, may we know that our work matters and that you create a new thing every day for us. God, we love you so much, and we honor you and praise you. Amen.